Welcome back to part two of our coverage of the second half of Final Fantasy VII Remake Chapter 8 and its equivalent content in the original game. By the end, we will have set aside three episodes to talk about a single chapter, which is kind of crazy to think about, but maybe not so much considering we're covering two games at once and a lot of what happens over the course of this section in both games resonates across the rest of the journey. Catching you up here, Cloud and Aerith witnessed Scarlet's news broadcast as they arrived at the Sector 5 slums and checked in with Aerith's mom, Elmira. She invited Cloud to stay the night before the two journey back to Avalanche's HQ in the Sector 7 slums, but before we do, we are invited to check out the town before we turn in for the night. Circling back to Remake, we visit the orphanage, meet the, the headmaster, a young uh, African... American, not that America exists in, in Gaia. Or Africa. Or Africa doesn't either. Women do exist, though. And then uh, we meet some of the, the kids, and we learn that some of them are going to be late for class. So we're going to go find them. But it turns out that there are mean-looking men that have scared the kids away. And we suspect that there are Turks that are maybe harassing these kids. And so we take it upon ourselves to go recover the missing children. And we find their hideout. Their hideout is kind of hiding in plain sight. They've got this fun little illustration, this simple design that is a that, that represents their hideout, kind of in the middle of the block. And we do that, uh, we turn to our side and we slide between these, these two narrow walls to access it. And we do find the kids and it turns out that it's not a Turk that's, that's, that's uh, harassing them. I don't know if they're being harassed at all, but it's another cloaked figure. This is that moment in original where we meet the cloaked figure. He's not hiding in a pipe, or maybe he did come out of a pipe. I don't remember how he reveals himself, but it turns out it's not a Turk. It's number two. He falls before us, and uh, we think that it might be a hallucination, or Cloud thinks it might be a hallucination, but this one is real. This guy, very much like Marco, touches Cloud, and Sephiroth flashes uh, in his place, and we hear the word reunion again. And we get a flash of... These cloaked figures, again, kind of crawling towards, uh, as we identified it in that original episode, the, the Northern Cave, right? Or not the original episode, but the first time we saw Marco, right? So mm-hmm. we kind of identified that reunion event, except this time, Cloud is one of the figures in the cloaks, in the Flash, which literally has never happened in OG. This is new footage for us Mm -hmm. so that that's a pretty big mystery being seated of like what are we looking at here is this just like a a potential hallucination of what could be or is this you know lots of questions things get a little bit complicated again with the the heiress knowledge base because cloud asks her he, he says uh do you know anything about sephiroth and she says the war hero she she's relying on what she's heard on the news about Sephiroth. So she knows all this stuff about cloud. She's tapped into everything he is and everything he's done. So I don't know if she's just kind of telling him what he wants to hear in this moment of like, Oh, Sephiroth, the war hero, or she legitimately only knows about what she's heard, only knows what she's heard about him up to this point she doesn't she's not precogging any sephiroth intel and so cloud says i got a feeling he's still alive and that feeling would be the multiple times he's literally fucking stood right in front of your face but the 900 times yes Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and uh he's annoying tyler at this point but Aerith turns her head and her voice gets like this like downtrodden dourness and she says oh right that line makes absolutely no sense unless you take into my theory that her earlier war hero thing was just this kind of like playing it off of like, no, no, I don't know who he is. And Cloud's like, yeah, he he's around. He's still he's still doing his shit. And she's like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, right. Um, I, I do know who Sephiroth is, but she she just doesn't respond and she rushes off like she does not want to talk about this subject any further. So um, if she didn't precog anything about him to this point and then suddenly she just did and that made her like super depressed all we know is we really didn't see she didn't respond to his presence standing right next to her in chapter two at all Mm -hmm. 
she just kind of he walked right by her and she just kind of it was almost like a brush of air passed by her she was like oh you know but didn't like look at him or respond to him at all so very mysterious scene here not sure what to make of it i mean i can make some calls but nothing conclusive on how she's dealing with this information right now that cloud just shared with her so let's get into quests and other sort of optional contents that we're going to do before we come back to almira's house so firstly our friend chadley our um perhaps uh neuro Divergent Shinra intern is here, and if you've been um, assessing enemies as often as I have, you've been earning materia. Now is the time to take them off of his hands and put them into your inventories. I've been recovering things like ATB boost materia, which well, I haven't been using it, but I think that increases the amount of ATB you get at the very beginning of the battle. You don't start empty. I've been ignoring that, but Steadfast Block, I think, is a sleeper hit in this game. I ignored it in my first playthrough, but I've been using it a lot this time. So Steadfast Block means you earn more ATB when you're blocking, and you should be blocking. Like, if you're not attacking, you should be blocking anyways. And so, and the more the material levels up, the greater percent of block the greater percent of ATB you earn. And I feel like over time, by the time you get to the end of the game, when the bosses are especially challenging, you will earn more and more turns because you're, you'll earn more and more turns and you'll be reducing the amount of incoming damage coming your way too. I've got this on cloud pretty much permanently since I got it. Uh, other things you get from Chadley, the steel materia, haven't made any use of that. Of course, there's always steel in Final Fantasies. You've got to be able to steal your things, but I'm not super interested in just using an ATB bar to steal. I'd rather just finish the encounter and move on. And if there happens to be something I absolutely need, um, I'll use it for that. And hopefully I'm aware of it beforehand. And the other material I picked up is Provoke, which is quite simply, you know, drawing the attention of an enemy towards yourself and away from, let's say, your squishies casting magic in the back. Like Aerith, for example. Sounds like Provoke, Steadfast Block, and Barrett's innate damage reduction thing would be mm. like a destructive tanking combo. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Big time. Especially when he's got melee weapons a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Now I have to ask you, uh, Chadley's here. Did he ride the train? Did he take the chopper? Hmm. Or is Chadley a construct? Are there multiple Chadleys dispersed throughout all of Midgar? That's an interesting thought. Is he a construct? Yeah, that share a, a Chadley hive mind. They, they can all just instantly link up. Plausible. That's not like a Final Fantasy VII OG type of thing that I would entertain, but knowing that Tetsuya Nomura is at the reins here now or is heavily involved, I wouldn't put it past him to be there's a multiple hive mind Chadleys just floating about. He's not an intern for Shinra. He was built by Shinra. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, he also invites us to take on VR battles. We can put on this VR headset and we engage boss battles more specifically summon boss battle he his research team has innovated a new way to create summon materia and i think it's just a ham-fisted way to get us to, to have more summon materia in a game where you don't get your first summon materia excuse me in the original where you don't only, only get your first summon materia after you've completely left midgar which is past the the scope of remake of course and the first one is Shiva, and so Cloud puts his headset on, and uh, your party can go and fight Shiva. And I beat her on my first try. She's fast, she skates around on these ice shards, she shoots ice shards at you. Thankfully, um, the ice, uh, like the blizzard abilities, they have this delay before they actually deal damage. The missile comes to you and then crystallizes, and then but, it, but you don't take damage when it crystallizes it. You wait till you have to wait until the crystal bursts. And that's when you take the damage. Plenty of time to dash roll out of the way. I wouldn't call her specifically easy, but a lot of her abilities weren't, weren't too hard to evade, frankly. How'd you do in the Shiva fight? Have you even fought Shiva yet? I have, and I took your advice. I did an elemental... The words coming out of my mouth, I want to say an elemental junction. But no, I did the... Yes. The yes. elemental attack materia and smacked her around with a fiery sword of clouds. So that did wonders. She was always getting weakness damage on her. And I think just because of some stupid reason, I 
like just multiple abilities went off all at once and I was like dead. <laughs> I think that happened my first time, but it was more so just like a, a fluke and not me like playing bad by any means. It just kind of happened. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the the second time I came back, it was pretty straightforward and easy. Now I have to wonder from what Chadley told us here, did Shinra develop Shiva or did they just develop the magical stone that was like able to get in touch with a ice based planetary spirit? You know, I'm not sure how deep the we developed the materia hole goes. I don't remember. We'll have to let, let's let's ask Chadley. Let's intercut his uh, explanation here. Scientists say that this materia can only be found in nature, but I may just be able to prove otherwise. And so, Cloud, I turn to you. I would like to test this theory by way of my combat simulator. To wit, I want you to fight and defeat summon data in VR. Just after we, quote-unquote, save the kids from number two, on our way back, we meet the mysterious Moogle merchant. It's one of the kids in the kid hideout. He's wearing a Moogle outfit. We're hearing the gold, a variation of the gold saucer jam, like a, you know, a, a remake version of the gold saucer jam, which in the original is this loud, very melodic and boisterous and joyful. He, he sells items that you purchase with the Moogle charms you've been picking up when you uh, slash at Shinra label boxes and dungeons and and in other areas throughout the game i think it's disappointing that we didn't get an actual moogle here like this is a final fantasy there are moogles in final fantasies however the development team didn't think that i don't know maybe they thought well we could drop a moogle in here and they tested it and they felt like he didn't feel like he belonged in the world like this little um Puffball teddy bear feels out of place in the slums, and so maybe they swapped him out for a kid in a mascot outfit. Maybe their their like serious tone is just too serious for like the whimsical forest animal to be hanging out here in this moment. But there are mu- there are Moogles in OG Final Fantasy Seven. So yeah, yeah. What I will say is the the gold saucer jam you mentioned. It's like a an appropriate reinterpretation into like carnival music. You can you can picture yourself kind of strolling through attraction to attraction from tent to tent based on the tone of this song being played. But I also can't hear any of the fucking kids talk in the vicinity of it. It is blasting and all I hear is They can be yours if you've got enough Google medals. It's like turn the goddamn gold saucer music down, please. The other oh, right. So another quest is called Kids on Patrol. We have to find five kids with wooden buster swords on their backs. And then once we do, we learn that the Toad King is on the loose in the kids' hideout. It's an elite type of hedgehog pie with a few normal hedgehog pie friends. Uh, the king shields and regenerates himself or his allies. So the strategy is you have to target whoever doesn't have the multi-layers of buffs. It isn't enough to just focus the elite. You have to retarget throughout the fight. Yeah, I got kind of swarmed in this one, but I, I figured it out. Mm-hmm. When you rescue all the kids from this quest, it's interesting that they, in such short notice, have uh, adapted the buster sword design for their weapon of choice cloud has made an impression in his short little mission fulfilling in the slums that day also the teacher of the orphanage is nervous because she has somewhere to be and i wonder you know like does she got a hot date or something we might find out later but uh she's she's very much she's grateful for you getting the kids all back on time so after you complete the kids on patrol quest you get the verified hero quest next it's this whack-a-box mini game there's this little area in the kids hideout area where there's lots and lots of boxes lots of these shinra boxes that you destroy with with your sword they've gamified uh, destroying the shinra boxes where you get the moogle medals throughout the game so far um, some boxes are more durable and larger than others. They all have uh, a numbered amount of points on each of the boxes and prizes are tiered based on how if you can get 10,000 points or 20,000 points or 30,000 points. And uh, the prizes are special cog wheel. Um, that's an accessory that fills your limit gauge each time you consume magic points. Not too bad. Crescent moon charm, which reduces damage when equipped by a non-active character. I don't know what the percentage is. That'd be worth looking up, but it's 20%, which is a lot honestly. And then the last item is an elixir, which of course fills all your, all your bars up. Your, well, your health and your mana, at least. I got 
34,350 points on my first try and I claim all of these prizes at once. Nice. Good job. Took me two tries to do it. And and really the key to it is that you've got small boxes. You just use your normal melee on the small boxes. And when you've got two ATBs built up, you go and find a big box and just drop them into that. That sped my progress like way better the second time and also there's little timer boxes and finding all of those can add a significant amount to the game itself so if you're if you're feeling like you're running short go seek those out and that'll that should do the trick it crossed my mind that if you equipped that materia where you do a cleave after roll dashing that could be really helpful to score points too mm. Sure. But I didn't do it. I thought about that after the fact. Uh, Another quest, weapons on a rampage. There's this dude who's talking about floating eyes in the scrap. I've got that in air quotes here. Is the the mesmerizing rubble maze that that separates this community from the train station. And we go investigate and it turns out that there are upgraded versions of mono drives, which are the, well, I guess they are like eyeballs, but they've got this stalk and these small tentacles that drop down from uh, the bottom of the eyeball as well. So... Turns out they were floating eyeballs. They're drones for Shinra. Sure. Yeah, yeah. They they need to take magic damage before they can be damaged by normal attacks. So I put Aerith's Arcane Ward down and double cast abilities while Cloud cleans up. So after you complete Weapons on a Rampage, that unlocks another follow-up quest where we kill upgraded variations of gas trikes called Venomantis. They've made a nest in a graveyard and we take it upon ourselves to clear them out. Yeah, I don't I don't really remember fighting these. I, maybe they just didn't feel they felt like regular ass enemies to me and I just kind of plowed through. them. So I, I don't have a strong recollection of what you're talking about. Maybe if they're like dynamically weak to fire, I still have the elemental fire attack on and just shredded them or something. I don't know. Mm, that, maybe. Maybe that's why it was easier or didn't really register for me as a particularly notable fight. This next quest is my favorite. It's called Angel of the Slums. And what happens is we're tasked by a questionable journalist for information on a Robin Hood type character that only robs from Shinra elites and affiliates. Uh, We ask around at the community center and they think she's pretty great because, well, they're the... Well, they're the only people she's not robbing, let's say. And they they wouldn't rat her out even if they could. Among those people, we meet a woman named Murray. Now, that's how they pronounce it, but it's spelled M-I-E-R-E-I-L-L-E. But it's Murray, like Murray, but Murray. Sounds French. It sounds French as fuck, Nate. <laughs> She's an older lady, uh, gray puffy jacket and hat, yellow scarf, traveling pack with a bedroll on her back, puffy khaki pants. And this is this is such a harebrained comment, Nate, but she's dressed like a goblin from pick your favorite Final Fantasy MMO. Because if you've seen what they look like, they kind of look like that. Or maybe I'm just painting with too broad a brush. They've all got their, their little eye goggles and their backpacks and they all have gas masks. Yeah. Like I don't. I don't actually know that I've seen a genuine goblin face in mm-hmm. Final Fantasy MMOs. No, I don't think so either. They're all fully masked up, ready to uh, stop the spread. She's smart, she's clever, she's tough as a boot, and she tells the reporter where the angel's hideout is. I mean, there's no telling how she knows that, but she tells him where the hideout is. It's at lookout point, but warns a dangerous monster calls it home. We go in the journalist's place... And uh, Murray does not know that we're going in, in his place. When we get there, there's an elite smogger elite there called a Crowmogger. He's actually quite large compared to his smogger buddies. Um, it's Wrecking Ball is vulnerable to lightning. So it, it's, it's a separate target. It's a multi-target enemy. And when you defeat him, he explodes. Stay away. And we find a calling card, a... Angel of the Slums calling card on it. We return to the journalist and Murray reads off the card that the journalist was supposed to have met his mortal fate to the Cromager, but was spared by these mercs. Nate, how would the angel have written that before the fight took place, not knowing that we went in place of the journalist? Uh, she's precogging. God damn it, Nate. The journalist goes chasing <laughs> another angel calling card and Murray gives us 2,000 gil that she pickpocketed from the journalist. The quest is complete and we have evidence that Murray or Murray is the radiant, beautiful, and daring angel of the slums. 
And then she hints that her next mark is Don Corneo himself, who is a uh, like an underworld boss that we will meet uh, in a future chapter. Or more specifically, she's going to target his vast wealth. Well, all she needs is a pretty dress and some perfume and a, and a wig, and she's well on her way to doing that. The true angel of the slums. Mm-hmm. There's one more quest, but before I get to it, I want to tell you that in the Steam version of the game, and this might be true on PlayStation and elsewhere, you've got these extra items that come with the game, but they don't actually unlock normally. You have to elect to add these items that you don't get normally through through the game. They're almost like, I don't want to call them cheat items, but they're extra items that you get that aren't, or just not, they weren't supposed to be there in the first place. And I don't remember getting them at, at all in my first playthrough when I did play it on the PlayStation 4. I just unlocked these guys for the hell of it, just to see what they were like. And a lot of them are summons you get free summon materials and i thought well that i mean that can't give you too much of an edge given that they the game controls when a summon can be called so i tried them out all right there's cactuar carbuncle and choco chick and uh some of them are pretty great uh choco chick has clouds hairdo it's a (laughs) it's a little choco it's a choco chick it's a chocobo chick and and it casts elemental magic and its ultimate is choco flare which deals non-elemental damage and it crossed my mind that nate if you're gonna build a character that has no elemental magic whatsoever like if you're going for like auto attack tifa maybe you should put the choco chick summon on characters so that they do have elemental abilities when they summon choco chick Mm, gotcha cactuar is the little diminutive cactus with the oh my god face like frozen on its face Mm -hmm. and it's very very mobile it runs around the your battle arena quite rapidly and its ultimate is 10,000 needles but it doesn't actually do 10,000 damage like it might have done in previous games it certainly does a lot of instances of tiny damage which can also poison and slow not too bad the carbuncle in previous games carbuncle has been this green uh eevee (laughs) pokemon looking character with like a gem in its forehead but in remake it's a white pomeranian it is unmistakable how white pomeranian this summon materia is it's funny to me that the devs have released themselves from making a proper like, like like making a like a fantasy creature out of it it just looks like a dog and it's got a red diamond shaped gem on its forehead and it doesn't really attack its abilities are more about support it can half physical damage to all party members half magic damage to all party members or it can boost the rate at which allies this atb bars fill and its ultimate ability is diamond dazzle which gives all allies the reflect status which is well in line with how carbuncle abilities behave in previous games including original ff7 yes my first exposure was final fantasy 8 they would cast like reflect on everybody i think yeah Mm -hmm. So you mentioned these uh, basically free items. These were all various degrees of pre-order bonuses for the original Final Fantasy VII remake. Oh, was it? You would get them for pre-ordering the games at certain locations. Um, Mm. But then we have remake Intergrade is like a update to the game that was created for the PlayStation 5 and then later was released to Steam PC. Um, Now... This PC never got a base version of Final Fantasy VII in remake. Remake Integrate is the only version that existed on PC after it was re-released for PS5. So the PS5 version, the Integrate on on each side, just got those rolled into. There was no pre-ordering. There was no this. You just got them as all three of them instead of selecting am i going to pre-order it at gamestop or amazon or whatever you don't have to do any of that you get all three and i think even after the fact even if you just have the regular version of the game they're just free downloads now don't quote me on that but yeah so that's that's why you just have free random ass like comic relief summons in your inventory out of nowhere they weren't part of the i mean they were in the original game but they weren't part of like the narrative progression acquisition of the game per se yeah, there, there is one more quest. Now, this you only get this quest once you complete all the other quests, and it's called Language of the Flowers. And what happens is you go back to the house. We're going to get waylaid 
by something in between. But since I still want to talk about quests, we're going to go past that moment and go straight into the quest. But so let's assume we can just go right back to Aerith's house. It's not an action-oriented quest. It is a storytelling quest. It brings more life to the dynamic of Aerith and her relationship to the planet. She pretends to listen to the flowers that she's tending. But we know that this is an analogy for talking to the planet. The will of the ancients, Mako energy and magic. And Cloud plays along in his usual muted way. Oh, you're listening to, you're talking to flowers, huh? And I feel like this is a very important conversation because this is the kind of conversation, maybe it wouldn't have happened this early in their relationship, but we're getting more quality time between the two of them. There's not a lot of opportunity for discussion in OG to have them ingratiating themselves with one another. But I feel like this is a conversation that like doesn't read as like filler. It doesn't read as like revealing new or different things. This could be in OG somewhere as like our relationship builder conversation because it's just so good and it's so dialed into who they are as characters. And so, you know, Aerith is being her usual crazy self. She's talking to flowers and, and you're you're kind of like, oh, what's she doing? And so um, Cloud, Cloud asks, you know, well, what did the flowers say? And uh, Aerith says, they didn't say a word, but you know, never mind. It's not like you'd believe me after all. And so she's again reading into his character, knowing in her head who Cloud is. But we get a shift now. We get an actual change. And um, it's similar in how she responded to the questions about the ghosts. Like she was about to tell Cloud and then she held back of like, eh, no, never mind. But this time Cloud says, tell me anyway. So we've got his exterior with her kind of cracking, opening up after all of those adventures in the slums. And, and you know, we kind of breeze through them, but they, it's a pretty sizable chunk of gameplay. All the little moments you have sharing with her helping out everybody in the town. So I definitely feel like they bonded a significant amount more than in OG. And so mm -hmm. to paraphrase kind of her answer, she says, the flowers have something important to tell us. But a final step must be taken. Otherwise, we won't hear what they have to say. And she says she's kind of dejected when she's explaining this. Like she's she's trying to listen. She's trying to understand what the flowers and the world is telling her. And she can't. And so she says, maybe I should just give up. It's what I do best. And uh, it's so strange to hear because she's so enduring. Yes. Yeah. It isn't what she does best. We've never seen her give up. Cloud feels out the same way you do. He says, could have fooled me. What'd they say? Good work today, guys. Kidding. They didn't say a word. But, you know, uh, never mind. It's not like you'd believe me after all. Tell me anyway. The flowers, they... They have something important to tell us. Something they need to share with us. At least, that's the feeling I get. But before they can, there's a final step that has to be taken. Otherwise, we won't hear them. Maybe I should just give up. Honestly, it's what I do best. Could have fooled me. From what I've seen, you're no quitter. Cloud's saying, that's not what I see. You don't, you're very driven and very capable. Like you, you haven't given up at all. And so, so he's, he's asking like, you know, why are, why are you so such a go getter now? And she's like, well, that's because today's special. Cloud says, what's so special about it? And, and she just looks at him like, wow, like you, they're just in completely different places right now because like for her and, and again i'm leaning into this theory i have about her like for her this is the day where everything takes off and everything starts and like you know her her purpose is is being made a little bit more clear but for him it's just another you know he's, he's going around he's doing merc shit met a girl he's gonna head back home you know it's just another day for him but for her this is like everything she reads the script and she knows she's part of the a plot cloud is special to her and she realizes that he might not realize that just yet but he's getting there he's getting there a lot faster in remake than or maybe not faster but earlier <laughs> in remake because we have spent a lot of time a lot more time in the game than og so they walk off and cloud turns back to the flowers and says learn to talk to her 
learn to talk to her. Did the flower say anything? Uh, good work today, guys? I love it. Yeah, it's so perfect because hmm. is he talking to the flowers or is he talking to himself? And the answer is probably both, you know? Like, he's he's ready. He's ready to... He's been opening up with others in the avalanche team and growing with them and affirming them in ways he never expected in ways he never did in OG. He's there's more to him than we've, we ever got to see at this stage in the story. But here, this is like, he's talking to himself that he wants to change. He wants to be better. And that's like amazing to see that. I agree. This is one of those scenes that really elevates the moment compared to original and it isn't even like main story quest content oh yeah you can miss this in in remake it's crazy mm. you can't take anything for granted in remake you can there's some really great stuff in all the like for everybody's complaints about the filler and the padding and all this it's like well you know i'm i'm sorry but some of us out here love this shit absolutely okay we are going to time warp back to returning to Aerith's house from let's say the orphanage, because the orphanage is like the closest habitation to Aerith's house. In that tunnel that connects, well, let's say the orphanage to Aerith's house, there is this clearing over to the side. It's pretty suspicious looking when you when you access her house the first time. Wouldn't you say, Nate? We've said this before. Oh, hey, look, a boss battle arena. <laughs> <laughs> we run into Rude on the way to the house and he's feeding the birds. So he's, he's not an evil hater bad guy when we meet him he's in touch with nature a little bit himself and so we get into a little bit of trash talk with him he says you the guy that beat up reno he your new boy toy he's my bodyguard if you must know wait a minute those eyes is he the one who beat up reno and what if i am need to cross my t's dot my eyes that's all and uh air says Leave it be. Rude's not a bad person. So I have to ask, is Aerith talking from like the in world experience with Rude? Like has she had significant interactions with him? She knows the Turks members inside and out. Reno's her pseudo bodyguard that she didn't really know that, but we discovered it last time. I wish she could precog this because she's fucking wrong. He's going to commit an atrocity. <laughs> Well, I, I don't know. So like, you know, for her to say that about somebody like they openly said their job is kidnapping, killing, doing the <laughs> dirty work, whatever. And so she's either spent like a considerable time with these people or again, she's pulling in extra knowledge, big picture knowledge to know like, you know, hey, these guys eventually kind of become your buddies later in the OG verse, right? I need a better excuse than that, man. For sure. I need to know Reno's an ancient too. <laughs> yes, or something. exactly. I'm going to say that in the remake verse and I would go with the original that this is kind of my proof that Aerith, I don't know, like hang out, like they, they don't go to the movies together or whatever, but she is required at various points to travel with, spend time with, under the observation of being relocated or managed by Turks members on a regular basis to where she has opportunities to talk with them, get to know them, etc. Because, no, they haven't committed a uh, atrocity quite yet. And... I, I'm going to go that this is live knowledge for her. This is not her precogging his personality. Cloud's itching for a fight. Rude's itching for a fight. Aerith doesn't want them to fight, but she doesn't get a say <laughs> in this until she's actually in the fight. And she does help. She helps us kick his ass a little bit. So, um, And so we fight. Gosh, of course, it's another Turk fight, but we get Aerith uh, on our side this time. He's a monk. He doesn't have a... His weapons are his fists. He's strong. He has incredible strength, extremely cool, very, very composed, well-toned physique, weak to wind. Oh, no. <laughs> extremely strong, weak to wind. The counterpoint just seems hilarious to me. Sure. And you mentioned he's a monk, and I, I've previously said that Tifa's a monk in OG Final Fantasy VII. Rude has a little bit of a crush on Tifa. 
And I'm going to go that he just has mad respect for her brawling abilities. He sees a kindred spirit there. So he might be the one person in the in universe and outside of universe who we can say his his intentions on Tifa, his attraction to her is purely based on logic and an emotional connection and not anything else she has going on. I'll ship that. How'd the, how did the fight go for you? You very nearly beat me. My plan was to do double Aurora's with Aerith's arcane circle thing, because one, one of her abilities is she puts this thing on the ground and then you can double cast inside of it. But I was taking so much damage in the meantime, it was pretty hard to keep up. And it didn't have a cure materia on me either. Cloud did have the chakra materia on him. Like that's perma on him, chakra. Uh, and But Aerith didn't have any healing spells. So... Uh, I toughed it through, and then I executed him with an unstaggered cross slash ulti at about 15% health. Rude had 15% health left. When Cloud was down to mm, maybe four health left himself, single digit health. Sure. Very dramatic climactic finish for me. How about you, man? I was noticing no matter what you do, he kind of counters it or fucks with you or like you just can't go in on him willy nilly. Mm. So I found that I would play Aerith to just let my computer cloud kind of do as he sees fit and not had to deal with the frustration of getting crowd controlled every two seconds. So I was playing as Aerith, but then when she would try and do stuff, he would throw like a sleep grenade at her or something. So what I would do is I'd just kind of cycle around with Aerith and then wait for him to get into his own attack animation. And then I would unload on him with her. And I didn't have Aurora, but I had some spells to be able to pelt him. So that that ended up kind of changing the pace for me and making the fight less frustrating. So it ended up going well. Definitely. When the fight ends, he's spontaneously called away to another mission on a black military helicopter and he's gone. Apparently, he's got bigger fish to fry. The radio says, we're needed in Sector 7. Uh, oh, it's oh. trouble. <laughs> he's got to go say hey to his, his girlfriend. Yeah, Cloud. Mr. Steal Your Girl. Yeah. He, you weren't up to committing to calling her girlfriend when Aerith was asking. <laughs> now She heard. <laughs> she heard. And now Root's coming over to, to sail that ship. Yeah. Well, as he's like flying off. Uh, he yells, or he's like hanging off the side of the helicopter. He yells to Aerith, go home and stay there. And she says, you know, I can't do that. So it begs the question, what is the Turk's goal here with Aerith? Like, do they know she's up to something? Are they listening? Like, this is where I had to ask the question of like, how does Elmira afford that prime location? And my wondering is like, she is Shinra operative herself or like is she a shinra plant or being paid mm. off because like that house has to be bugged because they had to have heard like oh i'm going to sector seven i'm going to take cloud to sector seven well i'm headed off to sector seven to conduct an op and we absolutely cannot have Aerith in sector seven while conducting the op so go home stay there my job was to put you know to lock you down and to make you stay. And then she's saying, oh, I can't do that. My question is, what is she telling him? Like, she should just say, okay, aye, aye, captain, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. But she has to tell the truth and be like, oh, no, you absolutely are going to see me in Sector 7, Rude, you dumbass. Like, there's this is a weird conversation for me. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to think of that other than Aerith's house is bugged and her mom is running PSYOPs. So... We return to the bugged house, <laughs> the allegedly bugged house, and I have to laugh at this because in the in the in the in the animation when we enter the house, Cloud enters Aerith's house first. <laughs> she <laughs> follows. Seems like such a unnecessary like power move. Sure. On account of Cloud, but he enters her house first. And time to go to bed. And uh, when Aerith leaves the room and it's just Elmira and Cloud talking, she asks him to leave the two alone and please slip away uh, unnoticed and don't let Aerith follow you. And there's a thing that she says in original that is a big clue leading to uh, nodding to Zack is soldier. The last thing she needs is to get hurt again. What that means is 
there is a guy, there has been a guy in Aerith's life, Zach, and she's been hurt by him. And look who comes crashing through the church ceiling again, <laughs> another soldier that's probably going to hurt her again. So if you care about her, please do this selfless thing and go back to Sector 7 without her. And you know what? Cloud consents. Well, this is what Cloud wanted in the first place, too. They're on the same page. He doesn't want to involve Aerith. And she's just so relentless that... Oh, sure, yeah. That That's the way it went. I almost think that maybe Cloud already had the idea to sneak out himself, too, in the middle of the night. And he's just like, you know, hey, 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 Mama Bear. I, I'm right there with you. I don't, I didn't, I didn't want any of this. Just, this girl's nuts. <laughs> hey, Elmira, you know what would have really helped me slipping out unnoticed? Cleaning up your goddamn upper floor. <laughs> yes. And I'm saying that purely in OG that they were like on the same page. Whereas I think Cloud has grown into a spot here of like, he has to think about it. And she kind of delivers this line of like, it's not just oh she she dated a guy that was in soldier before blah 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 she she says you boys made a trade a normal life for power so she's kind of alluding to like dude soldier you live a dangerous life and you can't involve her in this and so even though he's been growing close to her in remake she's kind of reminding him like you know these are two different worlds and she does not belong in your world at least in her opinion, mm -hmm. the original OG, it's just so much more simple in the context and they're adding a lot of detail to it, but it works in both cases. I think. Yeah, I agree. The, the, the house isn't a mess in OG. It's just got old creaky floorboards. You have to avoid the creaky floorboards. How do you avoid them? Trial and error. Good luck getting it right on the first try. Yeah. The answer is actually the, the same answers you should probably what you should do in real life is stand at the edge where the where the wood meets wood where the mm, mm. the nails are nailed in near the railing you're less likely to get creaks there because mostly creaks are you depressing your weight onto the span of the boards on the floor now Good tip nate i can't help you in remake there's nothing i can do to stop what's gonna what's coming your way in remake. And it took me two tries. The first time I didn't really look at what, where I was going. I think I was probably anticipating creaky floors, but I immediately hit something and it made a sound like someone threw a bunch of metal pie tins in the air. And like <laughs> my foot went in a bucket and I knocked over a coat rack and that clattered on top of a piano that flipped over. And yeah, we, we reset that. And I was much more elegant on my second try. Sure. It's in this moment that you realize how much like inertia is built into the the movement of your character because it, there's a little bit of you don't even think about it normally but there's like a wind up and then a slowdown period of mm -hmm. it, when you let go of the controller your character's still going to move a little bit so you're almost like it's like driving a chariot <laughs> of cloud through this pile of junk and having to like take one step at a time and it just makes you think like real life there is a lot of shit all over that floor and she even told Aerith to go upstairs and prepare the bedroom and so this leads me to believe that this was her plan all along she was going to create an obstacle course like lights are out it's dark mm -hmm. potentially and Aerith's like oh I'm going to get him good he's going to trip over this bucket he's going to fall into this pile of uh, brooms and knock <laughs> over this bench and then the next time he tries again, it's it's the same both times. But I, I just, I think it'd be hilarious if each time the piles of shit were completely different. That would be amazing. Yes. That little subtext narrative of she's <laughs> trying to keep you imprisoned behind bullshit. But anyway, we get a little flashback though before we leave. We do. Uh, we hear the game's intro music play. As Cloud flashes back and he senses himself shedding tears. It's just that. Shedding tears and we flash back. Now, knowing what we know about original, the parallel between the, the moment, well, a moment regarding Aerith and shedding tears would be her death. And he's trying to separate from her now. And so perhaps the parallelism between the two moments is breaking away. Now, are we talking about different flashbacks? Are we? Yes. I don't know. So, Cloud... Oh, we are. Yes. 
Cloud is uh, flashing back to a chat with his mom. Mm-hmm. And he's met Aerith today. This is their first day together. He's spending the night at her mom's house. They're in separate rooms. There's no uh, nothing untoward happening between them upstairs even though there is a little bit of a a goofy comment when she first came home she's uh she's talking to her mom and she there's this line where she's like and guess what mom do you know what i i promised cloud i'd do for him or like do you know what i promised him and cloud gets really embarrassed and is like doing his anime grunting he's like "Uh, uh," and then the mom just interrupts and i'm like if you were a mother you don't leave the comment or you don't leave the conversation hanging on. Guess what I promised I'd do for him, mom. <laughs> like you're like, yes, finish that thought, Aerith. Please tell me. I want to know. But um anyway, so uh, you know, this is our first night after a full day of era thing, right? And so Cloud flashes back to a scene with his mom staying at at, at her house on a bed, chatting with her, and she says, uh, with all the temptations of the the city of Midgar, and he he's visiting home after becoming soldier, apparently, and I don't know when this would be possible, except we'll find out later. He's visiting her and hanging out, laying on the bed, and she's like, you know, I want you to meet an older, mature girl that could keep you on the straight and narrow, and uh, not not have you sucked in by the temptations of the Midgar city. And also to tell you when you're being a silly goose. Now, Cloud's an adult, and that would be a term I use for my three-year-old. So uh, maybe she's mothering a little hard here. Mm. But uh, it's true. You know, it, it's interesting that he's having this flashback now. Because Cloud is 21 years old in the OG manual. And Aerith is 22. So she is... The older woman his mom wanted for him mm. and so he might be laying in in bed in Aerith's house like flashing back considering like hmm yeah this is this is the girl my mom was telling me about the the mature older woman who would oh sure yeah keep me on the straight and narrow and uh yeah mm-hmm. the scene's very much the same in original too yeah yeah they did a really good job of keeping it the same I'll also point out that uh Cloud's spiky hair is a genetic trait. His mother hair. Yes. Her hair does the same thing. There's like parts that are just unaffected by gravity whatsoever. And like she even turns and the hair like wiggles a little bit, just like his does. Mm-hmm. It's like, absolutely. Cloud has no choice but to be the spiky headed golden boy because his mama gave him those jeans. These are the jeans my mama gave me. So we slip away from Aerith and we sneak out to go to sector six because that's the sector between five and seven and right as we're about to cross over into sector six who's there waiting for us but Aerith? both in both games in both games she knew we were going to slip away she anticipated us and somehow beat us there maybe she's better at hopping on rooftops than she lets on oh yeah but she beats us there she she has her own little like uh tunnel system underground that she can just slip in and out of to get uh places fast yeah too that too but he kind of protests a little bit like oh what are you doing here and she says i'm not sick of you yet what are you doing here waiting why because i'm not sick of you yet lead on then with pleasure and in og he just kind of she doesn't even say something positive he just kind of relents like all right let's go you know uh, but yeah, so this this is where you're the the other flashback you mentioned. That's happens. right. Yeah. So like I mentioned, this is when we hear the intro music playing, cloud flashing back, and seeing himself shedding tears. And we flashback. We've already covered it. Not going to get back to it. And cloud relents. She joins the party, and together we go to sector six. Now recall, we might have mentioned this before, but sector six has fallen. the The plate has fallen onto land below. And so you're not going to have, how do I put this? It's going to be extra chaotic, extra challenging to cross. There's a collapsed expressway in between here and where we need to go next. Do you have any Ultimania lore ready for us next time we record this? Next chapter, we're going to cross the Sector 6 collapsed expressway. And I'll talk a little bit about 
the circumstances of how that happened, when it happened in the <laughs> in the brief timeline of Midgir, which is Nate's chagrin. It's younger than I am. Younger, yes. Nate is old. Nate is older than the greatest city on Gaia, and I am too. Indeed. And then Wall Market, Nate. Is that in Chapter Nine or is Chapter Nine just running through rubble? It is running through rubble and all of Wall Market. Oh my God! Holy shit! <laughs> Yeah. This episode has been a production of Gunblade Guys. That's us, Tyler and Nate. Think about liking us, subscribing to us, five-starring us, writing a review about us, and telling a fellow game liker about us too. If you love this show, or you just kind of like this show, someone you know would probably just kind of like this show too. Join the conversation with fellow fans of the show on Discord. Catch us on Twitch and YouTube under the name Gunblade Guys. Uh, about Discord, you can find a link to our Discord server in our podcast's description paragraph. And if you feel like leaving us a tip, you can do that through a link in the description as well. And don't email us at gunbladeguys at gmail.com. Nate, what's your sign off? I got an alert on Twitter slash X that somebody recommended us as their favorite content creator on a sweepstakes for Sea of Stars. Whoa. So whoever that is, uh, to win a copy of Sea of Stars. So whoever that is, uh, kudos. This is the first I'm hearing of that. And uh, I, I don't think we'll win, but we appreciate it. Yeah. Also, um, I'm. I don't know what to do about Twitter. I, I'm. I'd be more than eager and happy to have a social media presence, but come on, it's fucking X. Is Threads a thing yet? Should we? Should we be on Threads? No. God damn it. <laughs> I, I don't know. Every week there's a new. God, we really are older than Midgar, aren't we? Ah!